Thank you. All right, I was like, good morning. Let's uh, let's begin. Our share this morning is dedicated by Gabi and Shana Cohn and family in memory of Avi Strimber, Avram Ben Kalman, Eliezer Alivi. We hope that in the merit of our his neshama will have an aliyah. So, we'll say, so let's pick up. So today's daf is Yudches 18. We left off on Yud Zayin Amud Beis. So actually we left off in the first wide line. So the Gemara said, So the Gemara says, well, remember again, we're now discussing the last part of the Mishnah, which was the case of Rabbi Yoshua, where Rabbi Yoshua, even though Rabbi Yoshua said in the previous parak that he did not agree with the concept of Migo, but he said in this parak, in this particular case, he did agree with the case of Migo, of what he called Hapesha Asar so the Mishnah sets up a case as where a man says, I bought, a, I, bought a, I bought this land, this land that I'm currently living on, I bought from your father. So the Gemara said that since, the Mishnah said, excuse me, that since, since we didn't know about it beforehand, and he's the one who brought up this information to begin with. However, again, if we knew about this information from Adin, then ultimately the individual is not believed to qualify the statement. So the Gemara is trying to figure out why is it that Gemara is now asking, why do we have to set this up as a case of what we'll call Ruvain's father? Why can't we set it up as a case of where I purchased the field directly from Ruvain? Supposed to listen to this. Why don't we set up the following case? It's a case of where I occupied and literally Achla ate, enjoyed from the land for two years in front of Ruvain and one year not in front of Ruvain. Look at Rashi. Rashi says over here, it's the first wide line. The claim I'm making is that Ruvain, this field was yours. So set up the case in the following way that I claim this Ruvain, this field was yours and I've been living on it for two years for three years, excuse me, two years in front of you, one year out of your presence, then the Mishnah would be teaching me that if there are witnesses that say that Lemaisa, the field was Ruvain's, so my admission that I, that my admission that it was Ruvain's field would not be enough to solidify my claim. So the Gemara says, one second. So the Gemara says, okay, and the case would be where Ruvain ran away, and that's why, again, the third year of Chazaka, third year of Chazaka was observed not in the presence of Ruvain. To which the Gemara says, Barach Machmas Mai. So first of all, let's let's clear this a little bit. Why exactly is it that Ruvain is running away? Right? Where is he running from? What is he running to? So if it's a case of where he's running away because he's in mortal danger. Pshita Dolo Mehemen. So I'll say, remember, what we're going to get into now is how Chazaka is established. Here's what we know. Chazaka is established by maintaining residence and usage, or residence and or usage, on a particular parcel of land for three years. The question we're going to deal with now is, do those three years have to be in the presence of the quote-unquote former owner or not? So now what the Gemara is suggesting is, let's set up the case of the Mishnah as a case in which I... I be, lived on the field for three years, two years when Ruvain was present, and one year where Ruvain wasn't there because he ran away. So the Gemara says, well, why, didn't he, why did he run away? If he ran away because he was in mortal danger, so pshita delo mehemen, delo matzimachi. Now, both say, if somebody is living on your land, if somebody's living on your land, in order for you to prevent chazaka from occurring, what do you have to do? You have to make a machah. You have, to, you have to object to their presence on your land. If you don't make a machal, then ultimately, again, that means silence. 
<coughs> does it go silence is acquiescence? Right? So silence is acquiescence, then you agree that you're the owner of the land. So, so the Gemara says, well, if Reuven ran away because he was in mortal danger, so then obviously I understand he could not lodge a macha. Why couldn't he lodge a macha? Because well, so if he lodges a macha, if he lodges an objection, people are going to know where he is. Whoever he's running from, he obviously needs to be out of sight. He needs to be, he needs to, he can't know, and no one can know where he is. I'm sorry, and if he's running away because from running from creditors, now well, so they're running from creditors, <coughs> he just needs to be out of this location. It's okay. He doesn't. It's okay if people know where he is. Then, <coughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Then Then he should have objected. The kaimalon Now this is another another interesting point because we paskin that a macha made not in the presence of the individual who is currently inhabiting the land, is considered to be a macha. Now, we will see this machlokas. So the question is, if Reuben is the supposed owner of the land, now does he need to make a macha in, the, in my presence? I'm the guy who's living on the land right now, or not on my presence? So the Gemara says, we paskin, and we'll see this if this is halacha or not, but we paskin that an objection made, even not in the presence of the individual who is currently inhabiting the land, is considered to be a proper macha, considered to be a proper objection. Now the logic behind that, Rashi brings down over here, is because even if you lodge a macha, you lodge a, a complaint or an objection to the individual's residence on the land, not in their presence, one person hears it, and what happens, as the Gemara says, the chavra, the chavra isle, your friend has a friend, and sure enough, what can we pretty much bank on? That whatever you say is going to reach the ears of the person who is currently inhabiting the land. So the Gemara says, this none, because we learned, shalosh arts aratzos artzos lechazaka, they're considered to be three, three different geographic areas for chazaka. For Chazaka, Yehuda, now what this means is there are considered to be three different geographic areas um, which are considered to be separate and distinct from one another for real estate purposes. What are they? Yehuda, Eva Hayardin, Vahagalio. So Yehuda, the, the tribal area of Yehuda, Eva Hayardin, the Transjordanian areas, and Galil, the north. So the Gemara says, Hayyabi Yehuda, Vehechsik Begalil. So also, for example, let's say I was in Yehuda and someone started living in my property in the Galil. Or Begalil, I was in the Galil and someone started living in my property, Be Yehuda, Se'ina Chazaka, so the person's residence on my property cannot establish cannot establish a chazaka for them until when? Until I am with that person in the same Medina. So what's the logic there? The logic there is because since I'm not there, I don't have the ability to lodge the macha. Because I don't have the ability to lodge the macha, therefore you can't say silence is acquiescence. Because that's not called a, that's not called the acquiescence silence. That's called perhaps uh, perhaps um, a silence as a result of a lack of knowledge or a silence because of a lack of proximity. In any event, it does. It doesn't establish Chazaka. Ache imo Medina. Chazaka could only be established once what? Once I am in the same geographic area as the person who is currently living on my land. And we asked about this. What does this opinion hold? If you hold that a complaint lodged against the residence of someone who is currently inhabiting my land is considered to be a macha, meaning that I don't have to do it in his presence. I could just make the objection and assume that the objection will reach his ears. Then I feel the Galil Then even 
even if we are in different geographic areas, I'm in Yehuda, and my land, and my land, and the squatter are in Galil, that should work. And if you say that an objection to someone's residence on my land is not good, if it's not lodged in his complaint, if it's not, if, excuse me, if it's not lodged in his presence, then then I both say, it could be that what? Even if we're both in Yehuda, but what? We're not in close proximity that such a macha will not be effective. In reality, we hold that an objection, an objection that is lodged, not in the presence of a person who is currently inhabiting my land, is in fact a good macha. Now, you have to understand something. The, the, the idea behind this also is two things. The idea of a macha also tells us that when you purchase a parcel of land, you must be incredibly careful to always keep your paperwork. If because if you because again, because the idea is somebody could always object to your to your purchase. The idea over here is that when you purchase a piece of land, we don't want to create the responsibility for the purchaser to to always keep his paperwork. You know, again, like I said yesterday, this is before the digital age where the truth is you could keep whatever you want and it doesn't really impact your, your quality of life. The idea over here is the three years of Chazaka say that once you're there for three years, you're done. You have an uncontestable claim, which means you no longer have to go ahead and, you no longer have to go ahead and keep your star. But the idea is what? That the three years only begin when? From the time that the previous owner could have lodged a macha. But for example, if, the, if, if let's say if, if I bought a piece of land today, but the previous owner, quote unquote, I, or I started living on it today, but the previous owner was in a faraway land that could not have lodged a macha, then by definition, those years that I'm living on the land do not count towards the chazak. that's what we're trying to figure out over here. And the ramification of this is a macha shalobafanov. So if, if you go ahead and you make, you, you lodge a complaint not in the presence of the person who's currently inhabiting the land, does such a macha have any impact? So the Gemara says, in reality, we hold yes. Macha shalobafanov of have you macho. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says, uh, Oh, and what is the Mishnah talking about? The Mishnah is talking about a time of danger. Mishnah is talking about a time of danger. Rashi says, So in this case, because it's a Shashirim, so word doesn't necessarily travel from one place to another. And therefore a person could say, I could, the person who's inhabiting the land could say, listen, I did not hear that there was a macha, and therefore I was not vigilant in guarding my shtar. Umayshna Yehuda Vegalil. So why does the Gemara single out Yehuda Vegalil? The Naked, Tap of Yudches, the Stam Yehuda Vegalil, Kashas Chirum Damu. So the Gemara is teach, teaching us kind of Derech Agov that Yehuda and Galil are kind of always like in a time of danger, i.e., that word does not travel between Yehuda and Galil. I've listened to Rabbi Yoshua ba'omer lechaveiro. So, we'll say, just you should know the way we paskin in this situation as the Shulchan Aruch. This is in Choshen Mishpat, Simen Kuf Mem Vav Sif Aleph Paskins Macha Mevatelas Hachazaka. I'm just, just, I'm pausing here just for a moment because we stopped him at Macha over here. So, Macha, an objection, an objection to someone's residence on land. So, is Mevatel the Chazaka. Afilu Micha Hamaarer Shelo Bifnei Amachzik. And this is true, even if what? Even if the ma'ar, even if the objector, so lodges his complaint not in the presence of the person who is currently inhabiting the land. Even if he's in a faraway land, as long as what? As long as 
as there are caravans that travel between. Because mostly, what's the chap over there? If there are caravans that travel between, then what? Then we could be pretty sure that whatever I say over here is going to reach the ears of the person who is currently living on the land. The daibifnei beis, and he says it's enough. So that was it. So just you should know that's how he paskin that machaos shelo befanov have you machan objection lodged an objection lodged not in the presence of the person who is inhabiting the land has the ability to stare has the ability to undermine the chazan. Fine. Back to the gemara. Velisni but a second line on your chazan medale. Velisni modar biyoshua but omer lechaveiro man elevisi mimcha parati lechashu neman. So we'll say so again. Why don't we change the case of the mishnah instead of talking about a real estate case? Why don't you say the following that Rabbi Yoshua agrees in a case. Where I said to my friend, I said to my friend, I borrowed a mana from you, but I paid you back. I paid you back. And the halacha would be what? Shuhuna eman. Right? That I'm believed. We're both say, why am I believed? Why am I believed? Same idea. Pesha asar, who pesha hit here. I'm the one who brought this information to light. Therefore, I am believed to qualify it as well. No, he never said anything to me about borrowing money. I said, by the way, you know, I, you should remember, I borrowed money from you, but I also repaid you. Rabbi Shua says, you, Rabbi Shua says, I'm Ne'eman, I'm believed. So why don't we use that as the case? What the Gemara is saying over here is, Rabbi Shua is trying to illustrate a principle of Pesha Asra, Pesha Hitir. Why don't we try to find the easiest case that highlights that you sowed, instead of choosing cases that may be a little bit more complicated and convoluted. So just Use this this money case, this this lending case. The Gemara says, "I can't. We can't use that case. Why? Because we want to bring down at the end of the Mishnah. If there are witnesses that I borrowed from Ruvain, remember, if there are bar- witnesses that I borrowed from Ruvain, Omer Parativ, and I say, and I say that I repaid, I'm not believed. So the Gemara said, "Well, that would not be true. Why wouldn't that be true?" Because we'll say we paskin that just because you borrow money with witnesses does not automatically require you to what? To repay with witnesses. Now this is a very important episode. The idea over here is if let's say I come along and I say to Ruvain, I say to Ruvain, Ruvain, you know, I borrowed money from you and I repaid you. And witnesses come forward and testify to the fact that I borrowed money. So one would have thought that the fact that witnesses come forward and say that I borrowed money, but what? But what? There's no subsequent testimony to say that I repaid the money. means that I didn't repay it. Kamash and says, that's not true. That's not true. Why? Because the halacha is, just because you borrow with Adim, you need not repay with Adim. I will say, I want to be clear. Obviously, you could, you could stipulate that in a, in a loan agreement. You could stipulate that just as the loan is being made in front of witnesses, so too the loan is being made, it was repaid. In fact, you know, the kids of Shulchan Arach Paskins, he says that if you lend money and repay money without witnesses, he says that the lender is over on lifnei iver lo Isn't that interesting? Why? He says because if you don't have testimony, if you don't have witnesses, you are opening the door for potential treachery. You're opening the door for lying. Therefore, he's, he paskins that you should always have Adim by every, by every loan and by every repayment. But in, in any event, he's giving like an aid to Tova. That is not, that, that's not the obligation. Therefore, we can't use this case in the Mishnah because the case of the Mishnah, we need a case of where the presence of Edim would negate the claim. Therefore, the Gemara says, so why don't we say, let's use the following case. Let's remember, we're just trying, very, keep your eye on the ball over here. All we're trying to, keep, what we're trying to figure out is the simplest case that Rabbi Yoshua could use in the Mishnah to illustrate the case of Apeshas or Apeshahitir. So that gives another suggestion. Why don't we say the fact of listening? Why don't we say in the Mishnah Mod Rabbi Yoshua, Ba'omer the Khavero Manala Avicha Biyadi? What about if the following case? Rabbi Yeshua agrees in a case where I say, I say to Ruvain, 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 your father lent me a thousand dollars, the Hechaltiv Pras, 
and I paid him back 500. Hechaltiv pras, I paid him back 500. Rashi says, Vechaltiv pras, parativ chatsio, shuneman below shvua, hoil the insure shachut lefan of dashmin rabusa da avagav, the mode of mixas potter, hoil, hoil ve inotovo. So we'll say, again, this would be an interesting case. Why? Because lemais in this particular case over here, so remember, there are no witnesses that I borrowed any money from him, from Ruvain's father, and I'm molded that I paid back half of it. Pesha asura pesha hitir, therefore what? Only chai, even $500. So the Gemara says, well, one second. Ali Badiman. So who's the opinion of this reference? So say, listen to this. This is a fascinating case. So E said the Gemara says, Ali Badiman. E Ali Badirabanan. If you want to say that this reflects the view of the Rabbanon, the Rabbanon would say, of course you're believed. You know why? Because you are a Meshiv Aveda. And also, Meshiv Aveda means what? You are someone who is returning a lost object, i.e., the Rabbanon would say, look, in a case like this, you could have kept your mouth shut. You didn't have to say anything. And what happens if you didn't say anything? But if you didn't say anything, no one would have known the difference. You go ahead and you say, now nah, there was a loan. You repaid 500 and you're still chayyeh for 500? It's almost like you're returning a lost object. It's like a gift. It's like a gift. So, of course, you're believed. It goes without saying that you're believed. And, excuse me, and if you want to say it's like Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov, he requires what? He says that you're chayyeh of shvua. Now, I'll say, look at Rashi for just a moment. So, Rashi says, This is a machlokas in Mesachas Shvuas. So listen to this. Now the Rabbanon Shita is even more dramatic. The Rabbanon Shita is that even if Ruvain were to claim against me and say, my father owed you a thousand dollars, excuse me, my father lent you a thousand dollars, and I said, I paid him back 500, I owe him another 500, so the Rabbanon say that that's like returning a lost object. I, I, don't, I don't have an obligation for sure, no obligation to swear about the first 500. It's not much like I'm returning a lost object. We'll, we'll, we'll explain what this means in just a little bit. This is not a bishvus, I'm reading Rashi still. This is not a bishvus. So listen to this. So the Gemara says like this. If you want to set up the case of Rabbi Yeshua in the Mishnah as dealing with the case of where I say to Ruvain, Ruvain, I borrowed $1,000 from your father and I already paid back 500 that Rabbi Yeshua says, oh, that I am believed. Why am I believed? Why am I believed? Well, one second. Once you're getting into that case, you have just stumbled into a major machlokas. Because in a case like that, the Rabbanon hold that it's like, of course you're believed, it's like, it's like you're returning a lost object. Not only that, the Rabbanon even, even say that in the case of what? Where let's say Ruven came and he claimed against me. See, in Rabbi Yeshua's case, the Gemara is suggesting, I'm the one who's volunteering the information. The Rabbanon say, even if Ruven came to me and said, hey, my father lent you $1,000, and I say, I paid him back 500, I'm another 500, even in that case, the Rabbanon say that it's it's like returning a lost object. We'll discuss why. On the other hand, Rabbi Lazar ben Yaakov says that no, that I'm chayef to take a shvua. So who would Rabbi Yoshua exactly align himself with in this case? To which the Gemara goes weiter. The Sanyo, because we only know Rabbi Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, Omer, Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says, Pamim sha'adam atzmo. There are times that a person could swear as a result of something he himself said. So you both say, we normally think that shvua is a result of what? Is a result of someone claiming against you. Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov says there are times where you could swear as a result of something you said. 
Ketzot, what's an example of this? So if a person says, I say, I go to Ruvain. Ruvain, I owe your father, I, I borrowed from your father a $1,000. And I gave him back 500 I sold him 500 Oh, So I have to take an oath. I have to swear. I have to swear that I paid back the 500 already. So this is a case of Nishba Altainus Atzmos. Fascinating case. We'll get to, we'll get to Shavuos. We'll see all of these cases. So this is Nishpa Altainus Atzmo, where literally, again, because of something I said, of my own volition, I have to take a Shavua. So the Gemara says, the Chum say, no, no, no. Absolutely not. If I am volunteering the information, no way. I don't have to take a Shavua. Not only that, it's as if I'm returning a lost attribute. You know, this lushan of returning a lost object means like, I'm like doing a tova. Right? It's like a chesed that I'm doing to go ahead and give back this extra money. Because I could have said absolutely nothing. I wouldn't have been chayif for anything. Does Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov not hold of this idea of meshev aveda pater? Meaning, why does Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov, in a case where I'm volunteering the information, why does he not agree that this is a case of meshev aveda, and therefore I would be pater? To which the Gemara answers, to which the Gemara answers, because um, we'll say, remember, especially in this case, where I'm volunteering the information, Rashi says, no one's even claiming against me. Amarav betono katon. Oh, what's the case over here? The case over here is where Lemaisa, there is someone who is claiming against him, but rather, again, it's a katan. So we'll say, so therefore, the Gemara is modifying the case. So where does Rabbi Lezer say that you need a shvua? It's not a case just simply where I'm volunteering the information, but rather, there is the father, we'll call him the father died. He has a minor son, Ruvain, right? Or it's not a minor son. You know, a son who is a minor, right? A son who is a minor, right? And that son, Ruvain, is claiming against me that I borrowed $1,000 from his father. So there is a claim against me. That's why Rabbi Lezer requires a shvua. So one second. But yet, we learn that what? You, when, if a cheresh shora, if a cheresh shota or katan, deaf mute, someone who is deranged or a minor, make a claim against an adult, what's ta'alacha rabosai? Those claims never, actually make sense, those claims never trigger a shvua. So how could Rabbi Eli Ezra ben Yaakov say that I'm chayv shvua based on the claim of a katan? Well, say this is amazing. To which the Gemara says, my katan, gadol. <laughs> say, this is the beauty of Gemara, right? <laughs> so I know, so what's a katan? A katan's a gadol. What? So the Gemara says, I'm my kari like katan. So what, I don't understand. Why, so why are you calling him a katan? Oh, I'll tell you why. And I'll both say, we've actually seen this concept before. De legabe mile de aviv katanhu. That regarding matters of his father, he is a katan, meaning that when it comes to matters of the estate of his father, then ultimately what? He's considered to be un, 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 unsophisticated and therefore a katan. We'll say, Yishinai, I've always thought that this Gemara also is an incredible, like, incredible statement in terms of like, our relationships with our parents and our fathers also, that sometimes you know, if a person's privileged to grow up with, uh, with a true parental role model. You know, sometimes the greatest challenge in life is that you always feel like a cut on Legabe, your father. You see what a father accomplished, you see what a father did, you see how a father was Moser Nefesh, how a father sacrificed, and then sometimes we look at like the way we live and the sacrifices we make. I might be a godl, I might be a godl, but the Gemara says, Legabe mili do'aviv, 
katan, a very powerful yisod. In any event, but in the halachic perspective, the Gemara says he's a gadol, and therefore, again, now let's follow this, he's a gadol, therefore his claim against me will go ahead and what? Will go ahead and trigger an obligation for shvua if I deny the claim. On the other hand, on the other hand, he's considered to be a katan, so to speak, because he's not well-versed necessarily in matters of the estate of his father. But if that's the case, why does the Gemara call this a case of where I'm going to take a shvua? As a result of something I said, the shvua is not being undertaken. The shvua is not being stated as a result of what I said. The shvua is being undertaken for what purpose? Because someone else made a claim against me. To which the Gemara says, you're right, but it's a case of It's a case of where there was a claim against me, but there was also a partial admission on my part. So that, that combination of someone's claim against me and my partial admission go ahead and create the obligation for shvua. So listen to this. So Gemara says, one second, kuli but that's most cases, right? Most cases are where someone's making a claim against me and I am admitting part of the claim, some of the claim. That's what triggers a shvua. Elohacha, the Gemara says like this. No, what's happening over here? This is really, really interesting. So the, really, the machlokes is about rabba. So the Gemara says, like, first of all, look at Rashi for just a moment. Rashi says, So now in reality, we're going to say that it's like what we said before, that it's the case of where, of where a katan is, a katan is going ahead and claiming, meaning Ruve and the katan is claiming that I borrowed $1,000 from his father. So we're going to see over here that Lemaisa, now the way we're understanding it is, it's a case of where the, the claimant, the person who's claiming that I borrowed money from his father is actually a katan. So what are they arguing about? They're arguing in Rabbah. Rabbah said the following, Dama Rabbah, Mipnei ma amra Torah mo demiksas hatayna yeshava, Rabbah said, now there's a case of mo demiksas. Mo demiksas means what? Right? I, partial admission. Partial admission. So Ruvain, a simple case, Ruvain comes to me and says, I, I, I loaned you a thousand dollars, you didn't pay me back, and I say what? Pay I, I paid five hundred. That's mo demiksas. I admit I admit the partial claim. Now, remember, what's interesting in this case is I'm admitting I agree that I borrowed $1,000. So I'm, I'm not contesting the loan amount. What I'm contesting are the terms of repayment or, or, or the reality of repayment. I said I've already repaid half of that loan. So what's that lacha? So the Gemara So why is it that if a person goes ahead and is modibamiktas, a person has a partial admission. The halach is about say you have to take a shvua. You have to take a shvua on the remaining half. So the Gemara says, Chazaka, what's the logic? Listen to this. This is amazing. Chazaka, ein adameis Chazal make a basic psychological assumption, which is what? That if somebody lent you money, if someone lent you money, you are not going to deny the entire claim in their presence. That's the assumption. Now, I'll just point out to you something very interesting. Really very interesting. You know, there's a machlokas exactly why this is. Right? So, for example, Tosas actually quotes Rashi in Parakagosal and Babakama that says that the logic behind it is the ain ademeis lefisha asa lo tova. So, what's interesting is, what's interesting over here, um, yeah, so, so Machlokis Rashi Tosis. So Tosis Rashi says, part of the means no one's no one's that big of an ingrate. Many people might be ingrates, 
But you're not going to, if somebody lent you a thousand dollars, you're not going to lie and say that Lemais, you're not going to be such an ingrate and say that nobody lent you money. So meaning, so Rashi says there's only a there's a certain like bottom for certain for people's ungratefulness that people are not going to sleep lower than that. Tosa says that's not the reason. Tosa says in other ways, means that people could tell when you're lying. So a person knows, a person fears that if they're telling a complete lie, that they're going to be discovered. So, all right, Machlok is actually tells us. In any event, everyone agrees that a credit, a, 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 a borrower is not going to totally lie that the loan never happened in the front of his creditor. So the Yimar Zavahai, in reality, what does he want to do? He would like to be able to go ahead and say that he doesn't owe any money. Vahai de lo kafar le mishum de'in meyiz panav, so we'll say, and the reason he can't deny the whole claim is because, again, people don't lie in front of their creditor. However, he wants to admit the whole thing. He wants to repay the whole thing. He doesn't have an interest in getting out of repayment, but what's the issue over here? But I will say, what's the problem? The loan is due, and what's the issue? The creditor, excuse me, the debtor does not have the money. So he figures to himself like what? That I'll go ahead, I'll just tell him, I paid you 500, and what will that do? That'll just buy him a little bit of time. Now, buy him a little bit of time to go ahead and repay the rest. So we'll say, so again, essentially the logic is like this, that when someone goes ahead and admits, part of, Ruben says I owe $1,000, and I say I paid him back 500. The Gemara says, what we're concerned about is the psychology behind that claim. And the psychology behind that claim may be the following. Let's work backwards. I want to pay him back. I want to pay him back. But what's the issue? What's the issue? I don't have the money. So what would I like to do? What would I like to do? Right? I, right? I, I want to push it off. So how would I ideally like to push it off? I say I don't owe you anything. But... People don't talk that way, because right, a person's not going to lie, right, in a total fashion in front of their creditor. So instead, what do I do? What do I do? A little bit of like a white lie, right? I go ahead and instead I say, I paid you back 500, and I'll get you the other 500. So like this, I'm admitting that I owe you, I'm admitting that I want to pay, and I'm admitting that I want to pay the rest. I'm just buying myself a little bit of time. That's what Chazal are concerned about when you make a mode de claim. Therefore, because we don't, so therefore, we don't know, did you really pay back 500? Or are you just stalling for time? So the only way to clarify that is what? The, the Gemara says, Avrahmana Amar, Rami Shvua Alei, Ki Hechi Deludi Therefore, again, what do we use? We use a Shvua. The Shvua, the oath, is the mechanism by which we ascertain the truthfulness of the claim. And one of two things is going to come out. Either you're going to swear that you paid back 500, in which case if you took a shvua that you paid back 500, we believe you, or the shvua is going to break you, and what's going to happen, and what's going to happen, you're going to say, you know what, I didn't pay back anything, I'm really sorry, I want to pay you back, but I just need a little bit more time, but okay, but the shvua ultimately again will make or break the claim. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov, listen to this, well, so listen to this, so Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov, Sabr, this is so amazing, Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov holds, lo shna bo, velo shna bibno, eno meis, so I will say, Rabbi Lezer ben Yaakov says that Lemaisa, this concept of Ein Adam Meyes Panav Bifnei Balchovo, that a person will not lie, will not deny the entire claim in front of his creditor, applies to who? The creditor himself, as well as his son. 
his inheritors. And therefore, therefore, I both say the assumption is that excuse me, that and therefore a person might lie regarding paying back half of it. That applies to both the creditor as well as his son. Therefore, what? Therefore, it's not it's not like returning a lost object. In other words, it's a regular case of modeba mixas. So whether you're making the claim of partial payment to the actual creditor or to the son of the creditor, it's a case. We treat them both the same. They're both creditors. Therefore, again, the whole process of modeba mixas applies. And therefore, if you admit that you paid back half, you have to take a show for the rest. On the other hand, Rabbanan Sarvi, Rabbanan say no. Bohu de It's not true. When do we say in Adameis Panavavnei Bachovo? Or both say to who? To the creditor himself. However, again, Aval Bivno Meis. But you know what? To the son, to the inheritor, uh, to the inheritor, to the son of the creditor, a person who have absolutely no problem lying, right? Why? Why? Because <coughs> the truth is, he wasn't there. Uh, who is this schnook, right? Uh, you'll excuse my Latin, right? Who, 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 is, who is he? Right? He's a nothing. I didn't do any business with him. So to that kind of person, a person who have no problem lying. Therefore, I was listening to this. Therefore, the Rabbanans say, therefore, Midlohe is Meshavedo. So I say, watch this. So the Rabbanans say that since Halacha Lemaisa, I'd have no problem lying to the son of the creditor. Therefore, when I say that I paid back 500 and still owe 500, the Rabbanans say, that's like returning a lost object. You're for sure believed. Because since in a case like this, people have absolutely no problem lying. Therefore, if you don't lie, halacha lemaisa, we believe you. So I will say, so again, halacha lemaisa, how do we pass in with this? So the Shulchan Aruch, this is again in Choshen Mishpat, Simen Ayin Hei Sif Gimel says the following. Im lotavo adam, elahu atzma omer. So I will say, if, I, if no one claimed against me, no one came to me claiming any money, but I admitted on my own volition, I borrowed a thousand dollars from your father. I paid back a hundred, but I still owe him a hundred. What is that locha? Potter af mishvuas hesis. The locha is I do not have to take a shvua. I am believed. Why? Because in this case, we passing like the Rabbanon, that in a case like this, I'm treated like a meshiv aved. I'm treated like returning a lost object, and my claim that I paid half and still have half to pay is absolutely believed. Says the Mishnah. Listen to this. We're going to get now into the interesting sugya of Kiyum Shtaros. Rashi says. So listen to this. So I go ahead, I show up in Beisden, I show up in Beisden with a document that says that Ruven owes me $1,000. So if Ruven's a smart guy, he's going to say, okay, silver, that's very nice, but you see you have two witnesses that are signed on the star. How do, how do I know who they are? Right? How do I know that those are actually legitimate witnesses? So there's something called Kiyom Shtaros, where we essentially, we essentially uphold, not uphold, uh, but certify the signatures of the witnesses. Now that could occur in a variety of different ways. The Edom themselves could go ahead and testify about their signatures, or if we already have a certified document in the records of Beisdin, if these signatures match those signatures, that could also be Mekayim the Shtar. So in this case over here, Reuven brings the Shtar, that I, or I bring the Shtar that Reuven owns me $1,000 to Beisdin. The witnesses' signatures are the witnesses show up and they say, yes, these are our signatures, but we were compelled, we were forced to sign this star. So therefore, again, we did not testify that the contents of the star are actually accurate. We were forced. Or or we were minors at the time we signed the star. Or 
or we were pasal fedus, meaning we were related to one of the parties. Whatever the case is, the halacha is ilu ne'emanim. So the witnesses are believed. Rabbi because again, pesha asar who are pesha In this case, again, since they are the ones who are certifying their signatures, they are also the ones who are permitted to say that 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 lamaisa again the signatures are really fraudulent. They're not good. However, v'miyesh edim shuk saviyadam oshayek saviyadam yosi makamacher ilu ne'emanim. But if we have outside certification of their signatures, i.e. other witnesses showed up to certify their signatures, or we know that we, we compare their signatures to signatures on other documents and that's how we certify it, then Abba said then they are not believed to qualify and to say that we were fraudulent witnesses. So we're like this. When is this true, says Rami Barachama? That if their that if their if their signatures are certified from another source that they are not believed, that's only in a case where they say that we were anusim machmas mamon. That what happened? That somebody somebody was threatening us financially. That someone told us that if we don't go ahead and sign on the star, they're going to steal our money. But if someone said that we signed on the star because someone threatened our life, then even if their signatures were corroborated from an outside source, they are believed to qualify their testimony. Sigmar says, really? Amrle Rava. Rava said, is that true? Do we really believe them? Rabbi say there's a klal in testimony, which is that once you give testimony, what? What? You're done. You can't retract. You can't recant. Maybe that's maybe you'd say that's only true with verbal testimony. But written testimony. What's written testimony? Written testimony is when you sign your name, right? It's on a star, right? When you sign your name on a star, that's written testimony. So maybe the inability to recant is only by verbal testimony, but by written testimony, perhaps you can. The Ha'amr Eish Lakish said. But yet, Reish Lakish said that when somebody signs on a star, it's as if they have given they have given testimony, and their testimony has been examined and cross-examined in Bezin. In other words, that when you sign on a star, that is no different than giving verbal testimony in a court of law, and therefore, in the same way, in a court of law, kevan shehiged shuv Once you give your testimony, you cannot retract and recant. So, so too, when you sign a star, you're done. You're done. Once you've signed it, you've lent validity to what's written in the star, and you can't come back later. Well, say, can you imagine if every single person had the ability to come back and to say, oh, by the way, that wasn't true? You totally erode the believability or reliability of staros. So the same way in a court of law, once you give your testimony, you're done, that's it. And when you sign a star, you're done, that's it. We have to reverse what we said. Rather, that statement of Rami Barham was actually made on the first case of the Mishnah. These are believed. They are believed. So remember, one of the, this is about the first case of the Mishnah, where witnesses show up and witnesses say, yes, that was our signature, but we were forced to sign. We were forced to sign. So the Gemara says, what, what, what does that mean? Oh, if they said we were, we, were, we were literally under the penalty of death. So I'll say, if somebody threatens you with either death or signing a fraudulent star, so what do you do? You sign the fraudulent star. It's not a kasha. So if somebody comes along and says, look, that is my signature, but somebody threatened me to kill me if I didn't sign it, okay, we accept that claim. Watch this. But if someone said, I had to sign that star because someone threatened me financially, then what? Then what? We do not believe that claim. My timer, why don't we believe that claim, says the Gemara? Says the Gemara, the Ain Adam Mesim Atzmo Rasha. 
because a person is not believed to do something or to say something that would portray them as a Russia. Look at Rashi. Ein adamesim atzmo Russia. So listen to this. The idea is that you are not permitted to save your own money at the expense of someone else's money. So if somebody threatened me with financial loss, if I don't, if I don't go ahead and sign a fraudulent star, I have absolutely no halachic right to do that. My money is no more important than your money. So if a, if a person threatens his life to sign a fraudulent star, you sign it. But if a person threatens with financial repercussions, if they don't sign a fraudulent star, I'm not permitted to sign it. They will say, so therefore, what's the chaf? So watch this. So it says the Mishnah, witnesses show up in Basin and say, yes, that's our, that's our signature, but to be honest, the, the document actually is not true. The events that described here didn't occur, but somebody threatened us that if we didn't sign it, they take away our money. So the Gemara says, when they make a claim like that, we don't believe them. Why don't we believe them? Because in Adamesimah Rasha, we're going to continue with this in the next, next staff, that a person is not believed to say things that cast them as a halachic Russia. So saying that I signed a document to save my own money at the expense of someone else's money is a maiserishus, it's inappropriate and illegal, therefore the person is not believed. Now, I'll tell you something interesting. Now, if you look at Rashi, look at that Rashi once more, then where this will stop, what's the mechanics of, now we're all familiar with this concept of Eina Demesimah Satsma Russia, but what are the mechanics of this concept? This is amazing. Rashi says, Eino Ne'ema Lifsala Satsma Micheskaso. A person is not believed to say something that would invalidate their cheskas kashros. Why? Dikarov hu eitzel atzmo. Because it will say, you know why? Why am I not believed to make myself into an apostle? Because I am related to myself. I am a karov. Also, just like Kro- right, Kro- Krovim, I was going to say Kruvim, but no, Krovim. So Krovim, right, relatives are not permitted to give testimony about each other. Guess what? Who is my closest relative? Right? Me. I am Karov Eitzel Atzmo. Therefore, I am not believed to give a negative testimony about myself. Therefore, the Karov Eitzel Atzmo, the Karov Pasole Eidus. Sefer is amazing. Now, again, if I give testimony that supports my already existing Cheskas Kashros, that's believed. But to give testimony about myself that erodes and negates my cheskas kashros, to that I am not believed. Therefore, the Gemara understands that the ratio of the Mishnah is talking about a case where the witnesses show up and they say, yes, that's our, that's our signatures. But we were compelled. That has to be a case of where they were compelled under the threat of death. If they say that, then we believe them. But if they were say that we were compelled to sign because of financial pressure, then the Mishnah we do not believe that claim because any of the Mishnah is not Russia. Yeah.